Welcome to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen, where we help you navigate the challenges of feeding your family and learn about the role food plays in our health and relationships. Feeding and food relationships can be stressful, confusing, and even destructive. I'm Kristen Saxena, a pediatrician and mother of four, who's been researching and sharing what I've learned about feeding for over 10 years. In this podcast, I'll share my experience and expertise to help our kids and ourselves with everyday survival tips for real parents. This podcast is about progress, not perfection. So let's get started. Welcome back to Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. I'm your host, Kristen Saxena. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And we uh, make new episodes and put them out every week, so we'll be excited to have you on. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about responsive bottle feeding. So we've done a lot of episodes recently, mostly focused on breastfeeding. But I think one of the takeaways in there was, um, you know, as moms, even most breastfeeding moms do some form of bottle feeding. And uh, we've talked about sometimes the struggles that can come um, in terms of making the choice to bottle feed. And really, as you look at it, there's a lot of resources out there for breastfeeding moms. Lots of information. You can see a lactation consultant. Um, There's lots of support groups, all of those things. Um, Less so for bottle feeding moms. And I don't think that their needs are necessarily less. There's just less resources out there. So I'm really excited on our show today to welcome back Professor Allison Ventura. Um, She has been on the show earlier talking about her research in terms of early uh, factors that influence kids' food preferences later in life. But part of her other research in sort of early nutrition and early um, feeding has related around responsive bottle feeding. So I'm very excited to have her on the show today to talk to us a little bit more about what that is and what her research has shown. Well, welcome back to the show, Allison. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. So, Professor Allison Ventura, you have been a guest on our show before. Um, I love the episode that we did before, talking mostly about sort of early influences on kids' um, food preferences. I found that very fascinating, but you actually do a lot of very fascinating research um, in terms of feeding infants and young children. And so I was really excited to have you back on today to talk about... um, mostly responsive bottle feeding so and really what responsive feeding is we have recently done quite a few episodes focused mainly on breastfeeding although i would say you know in almost all those episodes we were talking about um you know also bottle feeding so a lot of the moms and people we would talk to for i would say the majority of parents will do some aspect of both um and so that said, you know, we've talked about this before, but there's a, it seems that there's not as many resources available for parents in terms of bottle feeding. So super excited to have you on to talk a little bit more about that today. Great. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk about it too. And I agree that's part of the reason why I started thinking about bottle feeding and doing research on bottle feeding because sometimes it is kind of like the ugly stepchild, right? right. That, um, they're so focused on promoting breastfeeding, and that's really important. We should, because we know that breastfeeding has so many benefits for moms, babies, and families. But 
the reality is most parents bottle feed as well, whether it's express breast milk or formula. And those parents need support too. And we want to make sure that even if we aren't fully breastfeeding, that we're still bottle feeding really well in a way that supports you know, children's development and needs. So I thought it was really important to try to add to the resource and the evidence base so that we could support parents in wherever they are and whatever need they have for their feeding. Definitely. And I almost think sometimes that the thought process or or sort of the situation is you get this sense, especially for me being in medicine, sometimes there was this sort of underlying tone that it was like, if you talk about it too much or you kind of um, support bottle feeding too much, it's going to um, deter people from breastfeeding. But I think you know, it's hard to say how true or not true that is. Um, but on the flip side, it certainly, I think, like you said, ends up then sort of leaving people who bottle feed their babies with less resources um, than I think is ideal. So I think this is really cool. So really, I guess the first thing to start out with would be um, this idea of responsive feeding. Do you think that you could sort of describe for me and our listeners what responsive feeding is? Sure. So we know from you know decades of child development research that children have this keen intuition, right? That they, as little babies, they they come into the world ready to communicate to their parents what they need, and really the baby is really the one who knows, you know, I'm, I'm feeling hungry, I'm feeling tired and communicates those needs through crying and rooting, sucking on their hands, all these little signals that they give to their parents to say, hey, I need to be fed, I need to go to sleep. And so responsive feeding and responsive parenting more broadly is really uh, feeding in a way that is responding to those cues, trusting that the baby is the one who knows I need sleep, I need food, I need comfort, I need less stimulus, and trusting that the, the baby will signal needs and that the parent can respond to those needs accordingly. So uh, this means that you know, the parent needs to have several things in place. They need to trust their baby. Uh, they need to know their baby's cues and realize that you know when my baby's rooting around or sucking on his fist, that means that he needs to be fed versus maybe when my baby's, you know, getting fussy and turning away from me, that means that she needs less stimulus and she needs to be comforted to sleep. So uh, this also means that that parents need to not only, you know, recognize those cues, but then be willing to respond accordingly, uh, to be willing to feed their baby, even if it's only been an hour since the last feeding, but trusting that oh, okay, even though I think that babies need to be fed every three hours, here my baby's showing me that she's hungry again, so I need to feed her again. So, you know, in, in brief, and responsive parenting and responsive feeding more specifically is really um, trusting the baby's cues, recognizing the baby's cues, and then responding accordingly to those cues in the ways that the babies need. Yeah, I think that always goes back to this idea I have in terms of um, you know, babies really are the the quintessential intuitive eaters. <laughs> like, you know, it's all this thing that we try to get back uh, as adults. So you can read all these books and articles about becoming an intuitive eater. And if you are familiar and spend a lot of time with babies, you say, well, we actually all started this way. So something we've done, multiple things I'm sure we've done along the way have now made this something we're all trying to relearn in our 30s and 40s, apparently. So, right. um 
I think that that's really interesting and it sounds like, you know, this idea of responsive feeding is really just sort of that first step in in helping to maintain those those um sort of intuitive methods of eating. So, you know, I think that brings me to the question then what do you feel like are the roadblocks in terms of why why parents might have a difficult time responding in that way? So, well, I think part of it comes back to the advice that we sometimes give parents, right? And we especially see this when it comes to like formula and bottle feeding, that often parents kind of crave this structured, very, you know, simple to follow advice. And so it's much easier to learn, oh, a, a baby needs to be fed eight to 12 times per day and every, you know, three to four hours. And then especially with bottle feeding, that there's the recommendation of you know, three month old should get so much formula or, or express breast milk. And so I think part of that can shape parents a little bit of thinking that there need to be this targets or, you know, this is how babies are fed when really maybe some days it looks like that. Other days, babies maybe want to feed every hour. Other days they want to sleep all day and just feed a little bit. So, so part of it is, yeah, how we're educating parents about infant feeding and, and developing those expectations uh, and I think that's linked to anxiety as well, right? That one of the things that we really focused on early, early on, and we, we do this, you know, in clinical settings, research settings, uh, and then parents themselves, uh, it, we really focus on growth, right? It, mm-hmm. Did your baby regain birth weight? Are they gaining weight appropriately? This is like our key marker for health. And so it's understandable that, that parents are very focused on how much and how often their babies are feeding and wanting to make sure that they're hitting those targets. And I think that can make it um, a little bit difficult to just trust your baby and trust that what's going on is okay. And, and so often too, you know, if, if feeding changes, it's like, what's wrong? What's going on? Do I need to change my diet to change, you know, how my breast milk is? Do I need to feed my baby less or more? Um, when really often these changes are just natural. Sometimes babies want to feed more. Babies spit up a lot. <laughs> you know, they, all these things are just, um, just need to be uh, trusted that it's, it's okay. But parents sometimes have a hard time doing that. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that that's so true as you talk to, I mean, as you recall being a new parent or even a parent of older kids, I mean, the anxiety never goes away, right? It just changes. But as you talk to them, I mean, I think that that is, there's always this, for many parents, this concern that the baby is not getting enough to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, And so certainly, you know, I think again, the way I have often looked at it was why um, bottle feeding would often or would be more of a risk factor for kind of overfeeding was mainly just because, again, it's sort of the adult intervention with breastfeeding. You really weren't sure how much the baby was getting. And so you really couldn't, um, you know, be so anxious about ounce after ounce. You just I mean, you just didn't have the, the information to sort of impose your anxiety on your child. Whereas with a bottle, you can say like, oh, my gosh, you know, he used to yesterday. He was eating this much. Today, he's only eating this much. Yesterday, he ate every three hours. Today, he won't. Um, and so I think that that anxiety of just feeling like, you know, I think we talked about this before, this sort of like caveman brain. I always think it must go back to that. This this anxiety that my child's going to like starve and die. Um but so so but really through the research it is the case that bottle fed babies are at a greater risk for overfeeding and sort of this rapid weight gain and 
rapid weight gain then has been associated with a childhood obesity as well, rapid weight gain sort of in this infant stage. And that's sort of related to a lot of the research that you have done as well, correct? So can you yes. kind of walk us through that and sort of what what your research has focused on and what you've found? Yeah. So um, we have looked at bottle feeding explicitly. So, you know, we, we can think of there, there's two components of what's going on here that you have what's in the bottle. So whether the baby's been being fed express breast milk or formula, and then there's, you know, how the baby's being fed from the breast versus from the bottle. And there is a lot of research showing that uh, breast milk is superior than formula. And so um, we do think that formula, because of its different composition, does put the baby at risk for overfeeding uh, because it probably doesn't have the, the same you know, triggers for satiation and it's got higher protein levels. It's just, it's, they try to get it as close as they can to breast milk, but they'll never get there. And so, so the milk itself can be an issue and place babies at higher risk for gaining weight more quickly early on. Like you said, that's been linked to later obesity. Um, but we've specifically looked at the, the bottle itself too, and thinking about the, the mode of how the milk is delivered and in there. So trying to control, you know, the, for the fact that it's, um, there's different milk in the bottle, but, but that it's being delivered differently. We've, we've seen that just bottle feeding in and of itself seems to be a risk factor as well for greater weight gain. And, uh, our research, you know, then has looked at, well, why, you know, what, what's going on here? And we've really looked at the feeding relationship, how the feeding interaction unfolds during breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. And there seem to be some differences there too. And like you said, it, it is a different experience that in breastfeeding, the mom does have to trust that uh, the baby's getting enough. She can't I mean, she can weigh her baby, so you could obsessively like weigh your baby before and after the feeding to try to track how much. But um, really, over time, you know, it develops this nice trust of my baby can tell me she's hungry, I can feed her, and I can see that she's satisfied. Um, but with with bottle feeding, it is much different because we know that parents just get so much more information with bottle feeding and they have so much more control. They um, have more control over how much goes into the bottle. They can see the rate of feeding and how much leaves the bottle. And they have a much greater ability to encourage their baby to finish the bottle too. And uh, some of our research has shown that, you know, that encouragement does indeed uh, associate with greater intakes and faster weight gain. And sometimes that encouragement can be even greater when there's expressed breast milk in the bottle. Oh yeah. Uh, you don't want to waste right? it. Liquid gold. So right. uh, that parents may feel more inclined to get their baby to finish the bottle when, when they're feeding expressed breast milk. Uh, so these differences seem to be important, you know, in terms of determining how much the baby eats and then the, the later weight gain. And um, is really, I think a, a point of education and awareness that pa parents need to have that despite their best intentions, there may be like higher risk that they'd be more inclined to, to overfeed their baby during bottle feeding because that's, that's how bottles are designed. They're designed to be an easier mode of feeding where you have more control, um, especially if breastfeeding isn't working out. 
Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, that definitely spoke to me because I I would say I was certainly guilty of, especially when you had that like express breast milk and you, for me, I've talked about this in past episodes, but like, if you're not a person with like a freezer full of milk and you feel like I really worked really hard for this, (laughs) um, you know, then the thought of having to like throw away half a bottle of breast milk is like, just please finish it. You know what I mean? Like, which sounds so, I mean, in the moment it's, it's like, it just doesn't feel like something you want to do. And so you kind of are like, well, I pumped this. I really wanted to get into the baby. Um, so I could definitely see that being the case. And then certainly too, um, I mean, I think then there's also the cost factor for some people with formula. (laughs) It's like, if you feel like you're wasting a lot, I think that that certain formula can be quite expensive for people that have to pay for all of their formula. Um, I think that 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 could be a factor as well when you feel like I'm I need to be more stingy with this. The other thing is just um, I encountered a lot in pediatric practice is just sort of like our cultural ideas of like a good baby (laughs) and a good Mm -hmm. baby, you know, like eats a lot, not that frequently and sleeps for a long time. Um, (laughs) When in fact, you know, like uh, I don't know that that those are necessarily actually signs of the healthiest baby, you know, Um, but our culture will kind of, you know, I mean, to the point where people be like, oh, he's a good baby. You know, he sleeps nine hours at night and you think, well, that's not normal. (laughs) Um, And so I do think, though, that puts I mean, it certainly is more convenient to be a little bit more scheduled and have longer periods between feedings and longer periods of sleeping. Um, But I think just as a society, I mean, that's sort of like what your grandma is telling you, too, is like, oh, that's a good baby because a good baby is sort of an easy baby, I guess. Right, right. Well, you know, interestingly, we see that the number one reason why mothers stop breastfeeding is because they perceive that they don't have enough milk, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And those perceptions come down to their what their baby's doing. Is their baby sleeping in short spurts and then waking up? Uh, is their baby fussy? Is their baby wanting to eat frequently? These are all very normal things for young babies, right? We mm-hmm. know that that's not a sign of a problem necessarily, or it, you know, if anything, we need to learn more about the broader context. But parents often, you know, if, if what their baby's doing doesn't align to that ideal that you mentioned, the long sleep hours, little fussing, lots of, you know, eating, um, then that's triggers kind of this idea of, oh, feeding's not going well, my baby's hungry all the time, I maybe need to switch to formula because I'm not making enough breast milk or my breast milk isn't sufficient. So, um, Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to this misalignment of our cultural and personal beliefs about who who babies should be and the reality of who babies are. And so if we can kind of better align those ideas, hopefully we can help parents better trust uh, breastfeeding and trust their baby. And then, you know, bottle feeding is going to happen and that's fine, but also then bottle feed in a way that's not trying to get in as much as possible into the baby so that the baby sleeps for long hours, but rather have a, a pattern of bottle feeding that's much more like the, the pattern rhythm of breastfeeding of what that would be. So can you then try, can you walk us through like what your recommendations or your advice would be in terms of responsive bottle feeding? Because certainly as I think, when I think back to like my training in pediatrics and I would say we were kind of always taught that like, a purely breastfed baby really 
can't be overfed and that breastfeeding, you know, you were really kind of able to use breastfeeding for like everything, you know, comfort and hunger and go to sleep and whatever. It was sort of this like all purpose activity. Um, So I wouldn't say that that was necessarily it was responsive to needs, but you kind of could use the same response every time, if you will. Whereas certainly the the suggestions would be that that the same case would not be for bottle feeding. So I think to me, at least in my mind, that's where those pieces of education for parents that are doing some or all bottle feeding, like how do I, how do I use this? Or what does responsive bottle feeding really look like? Right. And yeah, so you know, one component of it, like directly speaking to the soothing idea, right? I think one thing that is important to recognize or for parents to understand is that breastfeeding is unique to bottle feeding in the sense that the baby's not always getting calories when the baby's on the breast, right? That the baby can latch onto the breast and do what we call non-nutritive sucking, which is a very scientific way of just kind of sucking, but not, not pulling any milk out of the breasts. And so that is probably often what's going on in these soothing forms of breastfeeding where the baby maybe is getting a little bit of milk, but they're really just kind of lightly sucking to get that soothing that they need that sucking provides them. Um, Bottle feeding in contrast is entirely what we call nutritive sucking, which happens during breastfeeding too. But for bottle feeding, you really, you're, you're all, that baby's always getting milk when the baby's sucking on the bottle. So that means that if we're using bottle feeding to comfort a distressed baby or to put a baby to sleep, then that baby's getting extra calories that maybe wouldn't be happening if we were using breastfeeding in that same way. So, so I think to that, you know, then an action step would be that for, for bottle feeding, use the bottle for feeding, use the bottle when the baby's hungry. But if the baby is distressed or, you know, needs to be soothed to sleep, then a pacifier might be, you know, the alternative that would allow that baby to have that calming sucking Mm -hmm. and uh, be able to soothe, be soothed in the way that that baby needs, but not not get that extra calories that would lead to overfeeding. Um, Other forms of, of soothing would be fine too, obviously. I know some people, don't want to use a pacifier and that's okay. Um, so that means that the parent would need to be a more, a little bit more aware then of, you know, when to use feeding versus other forms of soothing, depending on what the, the baby needs. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that to me, that just is, makes it much more difficult, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, as you think about it, it's a little bit, cause I feel like you get to know your baby and their patterns and their cues and their little personalities. But at the same time, there's always a certain element of like, I'm not exactly sure what, why you're fussy. I'm not, you know what I mean? And so you kind of go through the, you know, change your diaper, try to feed you. And so, you know, just to kind of do that. And so certainly I think it's just more, and probably something we just don't recognize if you're trying not to use feeding except for when they should be fed and yet not trying to stick to a schedule of feeding, you know, it makes it kind of difficult to navigate the day to day to say like, well, I don't understand. Like I'm not supposed to, keep to a schedule necessarily and be rigid about it. But I also like, I'm not supposed to give you this if you're not, if it's not really time to eat, you know what I mean? I think that that Mm -hmm. to me is the part where, you know, for parents, it just becomes very difficult. And so is there any, I mean, is there any specific coaching that you're familiar with or something for parents, you know, as they try to, and like, obviously we'll all 
you know, there'll all be times where it's like, well, I don't think you were really, you know, like it's trial and error and it won't go perfectly. Yeah. But what kind of coaching yeah. would you do for parents in that kind of scenario? So one thing that I've heard recommended to parents is um, try try feeding last, right? So like if your baby is starting to get fussy and you're not quite sure what your baby needs, then go through, you know, things that you mentioned, maybe check for diaper first, try to soothe them first. And if those other things aren't working, then feed them. That's fine. It's okay. Um, so, you know, that that's one approach. And I think also, you know, also the other side of like recognizing those satiation cues too, that, that, or it goes, um, rejection cues, right. That, that for some babies you, they're, they're distressed and you don't know what else to do. So you feed them. And if they're not really hungry, they'll let you know and okay, respect that. Right. So, so recognizing both the, the need to be fed as well as the, you know, the cues that signal, I don't want this right now, or I'm done with this. Um, that can be a little tricky because there are some babies who just are happy to be fed whenever. <laughs> so they might not let you know. So they, they are probably a little bit, um, you know, that wouldn't necessarily work as well with those babies. But uh, yeah, I think just, you know, it is trial and error, like you said, and that can be difficult for parents. So I think another part of it is just realizing like, this isn't a science, it's more of an art, right? Mm -hmm. That I take my time to try different things and figure out what my baby needs. And, and with time, I'll get there, like I'll, I'll figure it out and I'm not going to be perfect, but that's okay too, that, you know, I, I've just got to be patient with myself and, and with time it'll come. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that that was, um, that was always something that I would try to communicate with parents and clinic. Like I always said, I wasn't really the pediatrician for everyone because I certainly got this sense like, that people were often looking for kind of like very prescriptive schedules. My baby's this old. How often should I feed them? How many ounces, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it, when when it comes down to it, you're like, well, everybody, every baby's different. They grow at, you know, I mean, similar times, but you don't know when that day is that that growth spurt is starting, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, I was always a fan. I think I got much more flack because I was the same way with about sleep, which now I've gotten, I feel like more validation for same thing that like kind of this on demand sleeping and things, although it's hard for parents, I really do feel like it's healthiest for baby. But, um, I, to me, I thought that that was sort of the big takeaway is like you said, is to just, it's really a, a exercise and a little bit trying to let go of the anxiety and the sense of control you feel like you need and just say like, okay, well, maybe, you know, your baby might only want two ounces right now and six ounces later. And that's okay as long as you're just, I mean, keeping like, a, you know that you have a healthy baby and don't have any reason that you have to be extra cautious. And you're still, even though, like you said, you know, this emphasis gets placed on weight, but if you've been at least monitoring it regularly not excessively but regularly and you you feel like you know they're peeing and pooping and happy and they've been growing according to some normal trajectory then you can just do your best to have faith and pay just attention and sort of let your baby call the shots if you will yeah definitely so one of the neat things um you were involved with kind of an interesting study with a WIC program in mm -hmm. in California. Can you tell us about that study? Because I thought that was kind of neat. Thank you. Yeah. So 
we've uh, worked really closely with the WIC program, which if any of your listeners don't know what WIC is, it's a federal nutrition assistance program. So it's, you know, our tax dollars contribute to this program and it's really aimed at supporting low-income women and their babies and young children to make sure that they are getting the nutrition that they need to develop healthfully. We know that this time surrounding pregnancy, you know, the, the time of pregnancy and then the, the first couple of years afterwards are this critical window where we want to make sure that mothers are well-fed and children are well-fed so that they are growing and developing and not at uh, nutritional risk. So, so the WIC program is wonderful because it, it provides um, food, it, it vouchers for food, or now they use um, little uh, debit cards and, um, and it gives them a lot of, gives families a lot of education and support. And in particular, WIC gives a lot of breastfeeding support. They often have uh, peer breastfeeding counselors and lactation consultants to support mothers' abilities to breastfeed. And um, they also, I think, because of their focus on breastfeed, sometimes lean towards um, what you were mentioning of being afraid to talk about bottle feeding because they they don't want to promote bottle feeding. They really want to support breastfeeding. And the the tricky thing is, though, is that they are a huge formula supplier. Mm -hmm. Part of the nutrition assistance that they give to families is provision of formula if they need it. And so we have been working closely with the LA County WIC program to just try to balance things out a little bit to recognize that this breastfeeding support is so important and, and so needed. And it has proven benefits that it does, you know, support mom's abilities to breastfeed and help them to be successful. Uh, but there probably could be a little more education around responsive bottle feeding because there are so many WIC moms who are formula feeding their babies and they also need support to ensure that they are able to you know, form, formula feed and bottle feed in, in the best possible way. So we worked with the LA County WIC program to um, kind of supplement what, what they were already doing. And so the, the first thing we did was to revamp some of the early assessments so that they could better understand not only breastfeeding behaviors, but also bottle feeding behaviors. You know, how often were these moms feeding their babies? How much were they putting in the bottle? Um, how much, you know, how were they preparing the formula? So all these, we, we just asked a lot more about their bottle feeding behaviors. And then within that assessment, we also directly linked it to education so that if uh, WIC staff recognize, oh, this mom is giving six ounces to her one month baby and, and, you know, getting her baby to finish that whole bottle, well, that's too much. And, and so then they could give like really immediate, direct, targeted education to that mom to say, it's great you're so concerned about your baby's you know, intake, but this is a little much. And let's talk about the cues that you should be looking for and how to recognize that your baby has enough. And we also developed you know, additional education that the moms receive via text message and the online education that they, they do through the WIC program. And we found that by bolstering this education that moms are receiving and support they're receiving around bottle feeding, that we decreased risk for rapid weight gain in the, the moms who receive this, the, the babies of moms who receive this education. So we were able to have meaningful impacts on babies' risk for rapid weight gain through promotion of responsive bottle feeding, um, which was really great to see. And, and the other thing to note is 
we didn't affect breastfeeding rates at all. So breastfeeding mm-hmm. rates were still as, as they you know would have been, we didn't decrease the likelihood that moms would, would breastfeed, uh, which I thought was a really nice thing to see too, that we, um, in my mind, just, like I said, balanced things out a little bit and, and gave more support to, to these bottle feeding moms in a way that decreased their baby's risk for overfeeding and rapid weight gain. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think that that's such a huge point, like you said, is for, I don't, that's always sort of the sense that you get, like, like it's that, that if we talk about it too much or make it too easy, then no one will breastfeed. But I love that that's sort of a side piece of evidence that you got to say, well, at least in this particular incidence, it didn't. And that has always been my sense. And like, if, if it was so simple to convert someone who was planning to breastfeed to bottle feeding, I feel like it was going to happen likely anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like they weren't for whatever reason that that wasn't something that was going to be successful or that they were going to be able to commit to. Um, So I think that that's super interesting. And like you said, that you've really been able to show that this sort of responsive, more responsive method is able to kind of reduce the risk of this rapid weight gain. And so like just from that, I guess has always been something I've been familiar with. And I know something that, I always felt like as a pediatrician was was difficult to to always navigate because like I said, you kind of learn that you can't really overfeed a breastfed baby or maybe that was just me, <laughs> but, but a little bit. That said, you know, you'd get some, there was a wide variety of growth patterns for breastfed babies. You know, I, there are some babies that are just roly poly breastfed babies and it was almost, there would almost be a look that you could see like, oh, this is like a, chubby little roly-poly breastfed babies and some not so much um and I mean I think it's important to note too that like while all standard formulas have the same you know calories per ounce breast milk definitely does not not through the stages of of the breastfeeding and not from person to person necessarily so I guess the first question would be, do you think that that's true? Can you overfeed a exclusively breastfed baby? Because I feel like that was something I was always taught, but was not really familiar that that was proven or was that just sort of like, you know, what people told you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, my, I'm going to give you the answer that it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we still have so much research to do, right? Because... Mm-hmm. Part of what's tricky is that, like, it's not just the mom and what the mom's doing. Like, these babies come to the, the table with differences in their appetites. And mm-hmm. so I think that with breastfeeding, you know, it, it is really driven by the infant's demand. And so you can have a baby who's demanding a lot of milk and, and have, they have a big appetite. They want to eat frequently. And so those that might be contributing to those roly-poly breastfed babies that you see who are exclusively breastfed from the breast but are still big babies. And you know, in one sense, that, that baby is probably eating aligned to his or her biology and you know appetite drives, um, but is just kind of biologically destined to be a bigger baby for whatever mm-hmm. reason. Um, in terms of you know, the actual feeding interaction, it, it is a lot more difficult during breastfeeding to control what's going on, you know, because it is a more balanced interaction that the, the mom has a role, uh, 
in positioning the baby in a way that the baby can be comfortable and you know initiating the feeding but it's really the baby has to play active role in latching onto the breast and having the proper suction and everything and so I guess you know it is feasible that the mom could be offering the breast quite often or you know kind of trying to get her baby to feed more and, and encouraging um but I think there there has to be some component of the baby participating in it as well, um, too. So so it is yeah. I think partly what's going on with the baby, partly with what's going on with the mom. But it's just it's a lot. I think less likely than than with bottle feeding, where the the parent has a lot more control over what's going on and. Um, and, you know, part of the, the difference there, too, comes to that active participation part that, that as I said, that the baby really has to play an active role in breastfeeding, whereas with bottle feeding, the baby doesn't actually always have to. You can, you know, push a bottle into a baby's mouth and um, with some types of nipples, the milk comes out pretty easily without little, you know, with little effort from the baby. And so it is a lot, I think, easier to get babies to consume and to, to get calories with, with bottle feeding, with breastfeeding. And have you done any research or are you familiar with any research related to um, sort of these responsive or not responsive um, or maybe just concerns about rapid weight gain in infants based on sort of cultural groups? Um, because I think that certainly to me, two of those things, one of the things we talked about too was just sort of like the society's ideas or sort of your, I always say your grandma's ideas of what you're supposed to do and what makes a good baby. And certainly that can vary a little culture to culture. Then also adding the idea of like, uh, you know, the genetics of people are different, even though in standard practice, we're all using the same growth curve um, to tell everybody, you know, how big or little their baby's supposed to be. And so, you know, I think those two factors, are you familiar with any research? Because I've always thought, you know, that certainly makes it more gray when we kind of turn everything that's supposed to, you know, we, we make everyone adhere to the same standard, even though there's lots of factors that would make it different. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, yeah, I can definitely speak to this and I'll, I think there's kind of like two layers here, right? That we have like the parent themselves and then the broader culture. And there is a lot of research that shows that, you know, bottle feeding probably doesn't lead to overfeeding for everybody. Mm-hmm. That there are many, and I've observed this myself in the lab, that there are many, many mothers who came into my lab and it was just beautiful. You know, the interaction was just so synchronous and the mom was so responsive and I, you know, hadn't intervened at all. It was just me observing her. And so I think there are some parents who just naturally do it a little more, maybe had the right support and education early on to, to not use bottle feeding as a means to, uh, you know, get more into their baby or rather just as a, you know, feeding mode. And, um, so, so I, I do think that, that bottle feeding is not, you know, uh, necessarily a, a always a driver of overfeeding, but it can be a facilitator for a parent who is particularly anxious or, you know, inclined to think their baby needs a certain amount. And, and there is research showing that parents who uh, have more anxiety, have more concern about their baby's intake, um, 
be parents who naturally have a more pressuring feeding style, these parents are more inclined to overfeed during bottle feeding. And so, you know, I think, yeah, part of it is, is kind of that individual's parenting style and their perceptions of their babies and their risks that are maybe leading them to have, adopt certain bottle feeding practices that then lead to overfeeding for their baby. But we do have this broader culture that um, we are parenting in that's influenced by our parents and, and our family and our broader our broader cultural um, experiences. And so we do see there are racial and ethnic differences, for example, which is a can be one marker of culture in feeding practices. And um, in particular, in Hispanic cultures, we often really have this we see that families have this perception that, you know, a, a big baby is a healthy baby and um, Hispanic research has shown Hispanic mothers report a lot of pride in having a very big baby and a baby who eats a lot and eats very well. So it can be this really marker of success uh, in parenting that aligns with cultural, you know, um, beliefs around health and success, but doesn't necessarily align with more of maybe our clinical growth charts and, and kind of what we know from that sense of, of what a healthy growth trajectory is. Um, and so, so yeah, we definitely see in our in research that's been done with um, Hispanic families that there can be a lot more overfeeding um, to try to get this ideal of a baby who sleeps a lot and eats a lot and, and grows a lot. But we also see these other things that creep in too that a bottle feeding can facilitate in terms of offering juices and sweet drinks early on, putting cereal in the bottle, mm -hmm. these other that parents may do to pacify their infant or treat their infant or uh, manage their infant's um, fussiness. And we know that these are not things that we want parents to, to be doing either. Um, there's also been research on um, Black women, Black mothers showing similar things that there are these intergenerational pressures around um desiring formula feeding over breastfeeding and, um, you know, encouraging mothers to overfeed their babies. And so, yeah, I, I guess just broadly that culture is very important in shaping ideals around what a healthy baby is and appropriate feeding practices. And it's important to recognize that sometimes these beliefs don't necessarily align with the evidence that we have for um, ideal feeding practices. Um, and I will just mention there, there's one study that I love where the um, researchers did a intervention with uh, uh, young mothers and their their own mothers. <laughs> so these are young black mothers and, and then the, the grandmother of the baby. And the intervention was focused on teaching appropriate feeding practices, but also on um, negotiation skills and like communication skills between the mom and her mom. Mm -hmm. So that these moms not only knew how to feed their, their babies in, align, in ways that align with recommendations, but they also knew how to, you know, talk to their own moms to say, no, that's not how I'm going to feed my baby. And I thought that was so clever to, you know, not only think about the mom herself and supporting her and understanding what her baby's needs, but also helping her to support her entire family to say, thank you for your advice, but um, this is what I think my baby needs and that's what I'm going to do. So I think it speaks to maybe even more of that need of not only educating parents, but also helping them kind of 
um, negotiate the ways that their families are trying to help and making sure that that aligns with what their baby needs and, and you know, uh, helps them filter out maybe these cultural messages that aren't as helpful. Yeah, well, I, I actually find that very fascinating because that's always kind of been my thought with, you know, as you actually see all these different parents and kind of different feeding practices and sort of the way that kids turn out, you know, isn't always predicted by the way that they were treated or fed or grew as a baby. Um, and so I think that that, I guess, is always it kind of brings you to this question. And maybe you're a little more familiar with than me. But yes. So we always had this idea like you could have this overfed baby. And certainly that's a risk factor for obesity later on and thinking that, well, that's something I would like to help try to prevent. Um, but at the same time, sometimes it felt oversimplified, like you said, to just be focusing on ounces in. It's, it, I think that like kind of what you're bringing in with this information is, yes, like that's a that's a way to look at it. But I actually think it's like significantly oversimplified because in fact, you know, is this because of just in this baby phase, I'm anxious and I'm overfeeding you? Or is this, you know, like you said, like, is this my general parenting response? Is this, am I not a responsive parent? Am I not a responsive feeder? Will that translate to solid foods? And um, what's the cultural context in which I'm, you know, this child is growing up and what are solid food feeding practices when they get, you know what I mean? I think that to me, it very much, oversimplifies it kind of to the detriment of everyone <laughs> um, yeah because it does kind of i think come back to villainizing the, the choice right of like your your bottle feeding formula feeding and that's going to really put your baby at risk when really it's it's not it's it's a choice but you know every choice can i guess go in one direction or the other and so um yeah i, I have really felt that it's important to empower parents with whatever, whatever choices they make and and to know that awareness is really important you know being aware of the risks and benefits of every choice is critical and and then being able to align behavior um with those benefits is has been really important too and some of the research that we've done has shown that there are things that you can do to make bottle feeding a lot more like breastfeeding and, and then that leads to benefits. And so um, I think that hopefully can be really empowering to parents to know that, you know, maybe breastfeeding didn't work out in the way that I wanted to, but there's still so much that I can do to support my baby's, you know, healthy feeding and, and growth and, and, uh, you know, research. I think sometimes when we review research findings, it can feel kind of definitive of like this definitely increases risk for that. And it's all a spectrum. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, it just means I think in some situations we have to just be a little more aware and maybe work a little harder to to make sure that we're overcoming, you know, like what bottle feeding might bring <laughs> to our feeding practices, but it's possible. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing I always thought of, too, is like if if a baby was exclusively breastfed and we felt like that was less of a risk for overfeeding, I also thought, well, that's because there's one person on this earth that can feed that baby. Do you know what I mean? And so not only does that just limit it, but it also, you know, that's one person who has maybe other children and other things that they have to do, which means that, you know, every hour it may not be convenient for that person to um to feed that baby. So I think that 
I guess the takeaway just being that like we have all these associations with breastfeeding versus bottle feeding and it's very easy to make it black and white like this is better than that. And I'm not suggesting, I mean, certainly there are numerous benefits to breastfeeding um, for mom and baby and society and economy at large. There's lots of reasons that that's wonderful. Um, But at the same time that some of those, it's not necessarily the breastfeeding or the bottle feeding. I think it's just the context and the associations that go with one or the other that really contribute. And so it doesn't become, you know, like if I bottle feed, my baby will be overweight and have allergies and all of these things. Um, you know, to me, like the big takeaway and especially some of the things coming out of your research is that, you know, well, my biggest takeaway always is like you can do either and your baby will grow up and be okay. (laughs) And so that piece and that, you know, that there are, there are ways just as we coach moms on breastfeeding and the best way to do that. And there's so much support. Mm -hmm. There are Mm -hmm. ways to even, um, improve the way you're bottle feeding. And so that's why I think this research that you're doing, um, and just really the information that you're putting out there, I commend you because as we go through this, there's a lot there's a, there's a little bit of like, I think, shaming that can come on the choice to bottle feed, which I think is unnecessary. But there's also, like you said, that lack of resources, really. It's sort of like if you're breastfeeding, here's a, a coach and a support group and all these things. And if you're right. bottle feeding, here's a can. Right. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, and recommendations for how often and how much to feed, right? Which no wonder then that we're not responding to our baby's cues. We're feeding to a schedule. We're thinking we need to be in, t- in control of things. Yeah. So So any other big takeaways, like if you messaging to parents as they're opting to bottle feed, what would what would kind of be your words of wisdom? Yeah. So I'm glad you asked because I did want to come back to this because you originally asked like what, you know, so what do we do? What do we recommend Mm -hmm. to parents? Talked about soothing and thinking about how we're using feeding soothing. But I do think our research has shown some other very tangible ways that we can uh, be responsive bottle feeders if, if that's how we're feeding babies. And so I guess broadly, one thing to think about is that whatever way we can make bottle feeding more like breastfeeding is going to be beneficial. So part of that is making it infant led, making sure that we are letting go of maybe assumptions we have about how much and how often babies should eat and really watching our baby and trying our best to decipher their cues and give them what they need in response to those cues, which is is difficult, but it's important. So, So that's the first kind of maintaining that maybe breastfeeding mentality or that infant led mentality so that we're still bottle feeding in a way that's really driven by the infant and um, their hunger and satiation cues. We've done some research to show that if we do a very simple intervention of covering up the bottle, and so we actually made little like bottle cozies where where we covered up the the, um, clear bottle that parents typically use, that that helped parents to be more sensitive to their baby's cues because it took away some of those visual cues. And we actually put a little weight in it too. So it took away both the visual and the tactile cues around how much the baby consumed. And that helped parents to tune or help mothers to tune in to their baby's cues and be more sensitive to their their cues instead of being maybe distracted by these bottle-based cues that um, are, are in that are inherent to conventional clear bottles. So 
So that can be another approach is that parents can maybe just, you know, put a little paper bag or get a, a bottle cover um, so that they, they aren't tempted to look at how much the baby consumed and to encourage their baby to, to eat more uh, if they haven't, you know, eaten the amount that they've expected. Um, there is also advice around pace bottle feeding. And so often families learn this during their breastfeeding education, that they, they learn this idea of pace bottle feeding. And it's it was originally developed as a method to um, decrease nipple confusion, which there's not great research to suggest that this happens, but, you know, I think anecdotally some parents experience this, that, that once they introduce the bottle, their baby might prefer it because it's easier, the milk comes out more efficiently. And so with, with this approach of paste bottle feeding, we're again, really trying to make the bottle feeding as much like a breastfeeding as possible. So we are sitting the baby kind of upright, almost 90 degrees and, um, putting the bottle at a perpendicular angle. And this means that the baby has to work a little harder to get the milk out. We're taking breaks throughout the feeding so that the baby doesn't just guzzle down the milk, but actually has the, you know, the time to pace the feeding and to experience satiation and to signal it accordingly. And so um, the, the idea of pace bottle feeding is a nice package to really uh, help parents think about how to slow down bottle feeding and make it a, a bit more like breastfeeding. So, yeah, so I think overall there, again, there's a lot that a bottle feeding parent can do to make sure that it is the infant-led feeding and very responsive to the baby's cues. Um, and the other thing would be, you know, express breast milk in the bottle as much as possible. Um, and that will, will hopefully garner both benefits of the milk and the, the feeding mode if we can do that. Excellent. No, those were wonderful recommendations for parents. I think, um, you know, I wish there was something commercially available like those blind bottles, but I doubt anyone would, you know, it's too like too crazy. I don't think I could buy one, you know, you'd be like, well, I kind of want to (laughs) know, but you would think that if something like that became more, uh, mainstream, maybe that would be a first step. I know you can buy stainless steel bottles, but there's only like two companies that make them and they're kind of more expensive. So yeah, it would be nice if, if these opaque bottles were more available and yeah. more widely it might be a benefit, but we'll see. Well, I love it. Thank you so much, Allison, for coming on the show again. It's always a pleasure. Um, I find your research so fascinating. I think this is super useful for our parents who are listening, especially those bottle feeding parents. So thank you for the work that you do and the resources that you're providing. Yeah, thank you. It was really nice to be able to talk to you about this research. And I hope it it helps parents to be more comfortable with what they're doing and feel a little more empowered in their feeding choices. So thanks. Yeah. And thanks again for tuning in for another episode of Feeding the Family with Dr. Kristen. Make sure and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll see you again next week. Bye.